Roll Tide, everybody, and welcome to Bama Talk. I'm Steve Sample, and we're pumped about the Tide's first conference game of the season, a huge SEC Western Division matchup with the Arkansas Razorbacks. The fallout from the shootout in Fayetteville is going to put either the pachyderms or the pigs in the passing lane on the road to the big beach for the SEC championship game, and the outcome in the Ozarks will also have a lot to do with deciding who ends up where when bowl season rolls around. With the Hogs hosting the Tide in their home Waller up there this week, there'll be lots of pork on their pregame platter. But Bama knows something about barbecue too, so if Bama brings their uppercase A game, it'll be pig sushi on the postgame picnic. Bama leads the all-time series with Arkansas, having won 12 of the 20 games played so far between the two teams, with two of those wins clinching national championships at Sugar Bowls in 1962 and 1979. While I'm thinking about it, whether you're listening to the show through iTunes or Stitcher, be sure to hit that subscribe button. The downloads are free and we feel like we're worth every penny. One of the cool things about the podcast format is that you can listen whenever you want to. You can download it to your smartphone and take it with you. What a great way to pass time while you're driving to one of the barren football wastelands we visit for SEC road games. Take it to the gym and listen while you work out. And there's a free podcast app available that makes it easy and automatic. Couple of quick shout outs. We want to take just a minute to say hello to the men and women in our armed services, especially those that may be listening from locations far away from home. Thank you for your service and your sacrifices. And if circumstances allow, please let us know where you're listening from. We'd love to hear from you. We're looking forward to hearing former Tide star Joey Jones speak at the Over the Mountain Touchdown Club this Sunday with Mark Morrison and a great bunch of guys at the Hilton on 280. You know, it's a safe bet to say that for a lot of us, fall's a favorite time of year because there's something special about football Saturdays in the South. But everybody knows that one of the main concerns about going to any game is the weather. We deal with the heat in September. We'll usually get nice weather in October, and there might be a couple of games where it gets cold in November, but we don't deal with frostbite and freezing conditions too often. So most of the time, sunglasses and sunscreen are the main weapons in the weather wars. But we've had our moments. The 1980 Georgia Tech game at Legion Field, a 26-3 win, by the way, was played in early September with temperatures right at 100 degrees and over 200 people were treated for heat-related illness. Bama played in and won the first SEC championship game ever played in 1992, beating Florida 28-21 in a night game that was so cold I saw a guy try to crawl into an ice chest to warm up. During the 94 Ole Miss game at Bryant-Denny Stadium, the teams were pulled off the field in the first half because of heavy rain and lightning. Bama trailed at the time but came back out after an extended delay and wound up winning 21-10, sending both Ole Miss fans home sad and soaking wet. The 2001 game against Southern Miss in Birmingham had been moved into November because of 9-11. The game was played at night. It was cold. It had rained so much that day there was enough water standing on the field to start a catfish farm. Fortunately, the tide stayed far enough above the water line to win 28-15. Heading into Saturday, we'll be getting forecast on the weather in Fayetteville all through the week from the same guy many of us have followed for a long time. After a kick-starting a career at the 15th Street School of Broadcasting in Tuscaloosa with WTBC, He spent some time at Y102 in Montgomery, did a stint in Dallas before heading back home where he worked at various local TV stations before landing at uh, ABC 3340 in 1996. And the rest is ongoing history. 
Ladies and gentlemen, James Spann is in the house for a visit that starts now. Hey, that was a nice intro, Steve. I'm honored to be here. The, the weather guys don't get to come on sports shows that often, so this is a treat. Actually, they, they interviewed me on the University of Alabama Sports Network um, last year. The first game, uh, we talked about the tornado, April 27th tornado. So I did a segment with Tom Roberts and Tom Stipe, and you know all those guys. Oh, yeah. And so uh, that was kind of cool. But I, I don't make these sports shows that often, so this is exciting. So thanks for letting me come by. Well, well, you know, James, so many people plan their fall weekends around Alabama football in particular. What kind of effect does that have on the way you go about reporting weather or preparing to report weather during football season? Oh, goodness. When you've got a road game especially, you've got to start talking weather literally the Sunday you know, before the game, you, you start talking about it five or six days in advance because people are planning and they're traveling and they're packing for the home games. We typically start talking about it on uh, Wednesdays, uh, but it is a big deal. I mean, but between high school football and college football in the fall, that's basically eats up most of my time on television and on all the internet products we do. So it's a big deal. And, and of course, you know, I've got some game day responsibilities too. Yeah. I, you know, I noticed that you had started working with the university on game days, broadcasting weather forecasting updates from the stadium with so many people gathered in such a relatively small area. It's easy to see how important up to the minute reports can be, obviously. How did this arrangement come about and who can we thank for it? Well, I, I don't know who thought it up. It was kind of a, I guess, product of Crimson Tide Sports Marketing. And, and you know, that's uh, Tom Brooks and those guys. And uh, they thought it would be good after April 27th. And right. I understand if you did not go through that in Tuscaloosa, you don't understand. A lot of people that weren't there say, you know, why do they get so upset about thunderstorms and weather and when the sky gets dark? But you, you have not only the students that were traumatized that day, but the whole population of that city it doesn't matter how old you are or how long you've lived there or how many tornadoes you've been through. That was traumatic. And they just thought it might be a good idea to have me on campus at the stadium in the event we had some storms on game day. And that can happen. And our secondary fall tornado season is November. And we can have tornado outbreaks in November. And uh, so uh, it was a good idea. And, and uh, so I'm at the stadium every game day. And if the weather's good, I just do a halftime update. You'll see me up there for about 30 seconds cutting up, talking about the weather. But if we were to have a situation involving a dangerous storm or just a thunderstorm with lightning, yep. we could talk to everybody in, in the stands and kind of guide them on, on what to do. I think it's very wise the university did that, that they were proactive. Because if you look back, and you mentioned some weather situations with Alabama football games, Alabama's had a rich history of rendezvous with wild weather. And the one I always think about is the uh, Iron Bowl game in 1982 at Legion Field. We had a rotating wall cloud go right over the stadium. I mean, right over Legion Field, there was a tornado warning, and it ultimately touched down in Anniston, killing two people uh, in Calhoun County. Thank the Lord it didn't touch down in Birmingham. But, you know, they didn't announce it. Nobody knew what was going on. I, I look back at the video of that, and Keith Jackson was calling the game, and he, goodness gracious, I've never seen anything like this. And, but we went back uh, a few years ago and did a story with the guy at Legion Field. can't think of his name, the manager out there. He's still there. And he said they didn't know anything. They didn't know anything. There was no communication. They didn't know there was a warning. Everything was so primitive back then, and that could have been a total disaster. I was at that game. Really? Sitting under the upper deck on the east side of the stadium, and you're exactly right. 
uh, it was fairly cold that day. It wasn't, it wasn't bitter cold, but we got to the game, and of course, the rain started and picked up and got worse. And right, you're exactly right. The winds were swirling. Uh, they did make some announcements over the PA, if I can remember correctly. And there was, if I'm not mistaken, there was they considered a stadium evacuation that night because it was bad. I don't, I don't think they ever would have done that because they honestly didn't know what was going on. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know what to say. They didn't have a plan. I mean, the, it was just a total disaster in the making. So you look back at that, and what you have to do is learn from your mistakes because that's going to happen again one day. And by golly, you know, Steve, we had an event in Atlanta, the SEC Basketball Championship, about five years ago. Blew the roof off. the. And, and the same thing happened. A, a tornado went right through downtown Atlanta. And uh, in the Georgia Dome, you could see all you know all those big walkways were shaking up there, and the roof was about to come off. It was flapping up there, and uh, I got a call from Tom Stipe, who's the engineer of the University of Alabama Sports Network, and he didn't know what was going on because nobody in the Georgia Dome knew what it was. And so I went on the air with the University of Alabama Basketball Network and did weather wall-to-wall weather for ten minutes with Eli and Tom. And then uh, Jodine Jr. and the TV guys got in on it because they yep. didn't know what was going on. They were horrified. They pulled the, the teams off the court. So we've got to learn from these mistakes. And the university has clearly done that, in, 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 although that was the SEC's problem, you know, the, the thing five years ago. And they've learned. But, but now we've got a plan. We're set. If it happens, we're good to go now. You know, James, you, you mentioned the tornado. None of us will ever forget April 27. And so many of us did follow your broadcast through what is probably the most dramatic weather event we've ever experienced. I know it's the most dra- dramatic one I ever have been through. Uh, I stayed with your coverage through the whole thing. And I think the reason so many people leaned on you in those hours, because it's very obvious that you care about people and you have a passion for what you do. We were talking about that just recently. Would I be right to say in your case that it seems like it's more of a calling for you than a job? I, I guess so, Steve. I, I think you know. I, I think I can say this now, my old age. Uh, Careful. I th- yeah, that's right. I think I was born to do this. I believe that you have this God-given plan, and once you know what it is, that's when life gets good. When you pl- are plugged in based on your gifts, and uh, I, I guess I was meant to be on that green wall on that day. Uh, but it, it was a horrifying thing. That, and understand, we had 63 tornadoes in one day. The Tuscaloosa story was just one out of 62 others that were happening that day. But that, what made Tuscaloosa so hard, Steve, is that uh, I moved there when I was in fifth grade. I yep. went to Verner Elementary School, and Verner Elementary School was right across the street from Denny State. Oh, you could throw a rock and hit it. And I went there in fifth and sixth grade for two years, and uh, they were just building Tutwiler back then. This was back in the 60s. And uh, we moved there under adverse conditions. Uh, My father had abandoned me and my mom. I'd lived in a small town in South Alabama called Greenville that most people have never heard of Greenville, Alabama, but it exists and it's below Montgomery. But there were some really good people in Tuscaloosa that encouraged me personally that gave me some self-esteem. I was a hurting child. I mean, I was hurting. And uh, these were adults. Some were college students. I I remember seeing Dennis Holman and Ray Perkins, okay? Remember those guys? Oh, yeah. Uh, We we lived just a couple of blocks away from the stadium in a very small apartment at 13th Avenue and 10th Street. And I think it's now Gene Stallings Avenue and Bryant Drive, as I recall, how they've changed the names. But uh, I remember walking down to... uh, 
the store, you know, where Grant's is now in Tuscaloosa. Absolutely. And saw those two guys, and they stopped and talked with me. And, you know, I, I will never forget that. They stopped and talked with a little boy. They, they don't have to do that. And uh, I, what's cool, Dennis Holman called me about a year ago on the phone, and uh, he... I shared this in public at a talk in Tuscaloosa, and I'm thinking, man, this is awesome. But anyway, the, those people were really good to, to me and my mom. It was just me and my mom. I've got no brothers and no sisters. And to see that tornado on that day come through that place and tear it up, it, it's heartbreaking. And you know, by if you watch it on YouTube, if you watch the coverage, you know that people don't have a chance of surviving unless they were in a safe place. If they didn't hear the warning, if they didn't do anything. And we just had great fear that there was going to be loss of life. And I'm still stunned today that in Tuscaloosa alone, 53 people died. I thought the death toll should have been about nine uh, because the warning was so far in advance. And the Ashley Harrison story, the Carson Tinker yeah, story, yeah. it's horrible. Um, but we've got a lot of social studies going on now to determine what happened. Did people not hear the warning? Did they not do anything? We all have opinions, but we're going to try and find out and be better the next time it happens. But that was the most horrifying five, 10, 15 minutes of my career is having to watch that thing live on television. Well, you know, James, I think sometimes maybe it's the uh, uh, Colin Wolf syndrome. We have so much exactly. uh, weather, so many warnings, so many situations where we're told to watch or wait or uh, look out for something that, that may be coming. And, and normally it doesn't work out to where it's very bad. I agree wholeheartedly. <clears throat> Look, we, we, the false alarm ratio from the Birmingham Weather Service office is 82%. 82% are false alarms, and that is way out of line. If I was that bad, they would have fired me years ago. And I'm, I'm not faulting those guys. That Their mandate is to issue a warning for every tornado. But most tornadoes are tiny, and they last for 30 seconds. And my position is forget those. We're not that good. We can't handle those. Let's focus on these big ones that are killing people, and then we'll be better in the, in the you know, cry wolf syndrome should go away. And, and I think we have improved, and, and they've helped to reduce that over the past year or so. But we're, we're going to get better. We are going to get better. Tuscaloosa's coming back, and uh, I'm so proud of the leadership. Walt Maddox, the mayor. Oh, let me tell you something. You know, I've got underwear older than this guy. He, he's so young, but but he, I think, has represented our state in that city so well on a national and international platform in the days after the tornado. You know, I, I have tried to thank him personally, and I, I've done that in his office. But he. He's been done a special job, and we're Tuscaloosa's coming back, and it's going to be better and stronger. You look at Alberta City and how they're starting to rebuild, and Alberta City's going to look a whole lot better than it used to. You know, the, the, there was a lot of issues out there, and it's an opportunity to be better. So I, I think the city's going to do fine. Well, I'm going to jump in with you and agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, I got to speak to Mayor Maddox uh, back in April at a function we did down there, a fundraiser, and I just very briefly told him how much I appreciated the work he's doing with regard to the tornado and with everything else that's been going on in Tuscaloosa, which is which is amazing. The the growth and construction and the uh, expansion of everything is just is just amazing. And I told him I hope he'd be mayor for the next fifty years. <laughs> but where I will, you know, you said something about you you were hoping it wouldn't be more than maybe nine. And as I watched all that coverage, I was thinking as bad as that day was. And I'm not sure anybody in the nation's seen a tornado like that. That 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 one kind of took the cake. But as bad as that day was, it seemed like to me it could have been worse. It missed the campus by maybe a mile. 
and it passed within 200 yards of Druid City Hospital. Now, while I assume we'd normally... About, you better call it DCH Regional Medical Center before you get in trouble. Oh, okay. They, they, they corrected me on that, too. It was always Druid City when I grew up. <laughs> me, too. Well, you know, while I assume we'd normally know far enough ahead of time not to be in a stadium that sat in the path of a tornado... Uh, what would be the safest course of action if somehow that situation actually occurred? Yeah, and you, you make a good point. That looking at that tornado track, it split the difference between the hospital and the mall. The, the biggest mall in Tuscaloosa, University Mall, and DCH, which is the big hospital. Right. If that thing would have veered either way, it would have been even more catastrophic, especially if that hospital would have been taken out. And, and let me just say this, that those people are heroes. I can't tell you, Steve, uh, and, and I dabble in healthcare. I, I'm the chairman of the board of a large hospital, so I understand how hospitals work. They treated over 1,000 people in that hospital that night with no water, no commercial power. You, you can't prepare for that. I don't care how many times you drill for something like that. You cannot prepare for that. But they did an exemplary job. Uh, the, the, you know, a lot of people died in there, and, and, and for many of those people, that they held the hand of a dying boy or a girl, or, or a mom or a dad, and what they they did so much up and over the responsibility of being a triage nurse or whatever they were doing. So I, I just want to say that that is a very special place. But you, your question is a good one. What happens if that scenario were to happen, and the track happened to be about a mile to the north, and it hit the stadium? Um, you know, I was an engineer. My, my major at Alabama was electrical engineering. I was not a mechanical engineer, but I love engineering. And a lot of my friends are engineers, and I have gone with them on tornado surveys over the years. And I've been doing this 33 years, and we, we believe pretty firmly we know what would happen if it hits a stadium. The structure would be intact, even with an EF5 tornado. Really? The, the, the structure, the shell of that thing would be intact, but... So much of the interior part would be destroyed. Um, the the concourse areas, the walkways, and uh, within a large EF-420, the shrapnel is how most people die. And, and most people go airborne. And this is horrible to talk about. I, I don't even like to do it, but sometimes you have to. But if you had a venue where the place was packed and you had an EF-5 tornado, which, God help us, that never happens. But many of those in the stadium would go airborne. They would die aloft due to shrapnel wounds while they are in the air. And by the time they landed, they would have lost their life. A good friend of mine, a very close friend of mine that works as a physician's assistant in Tuscaloosa, uh, had a, was at work just down the street at one of the medical uh, centers there. And, of course, when the tornado went through, um, she immediately went up to uh, the hospital and helped out best she could and, and was there for quite a few hours. One of the stories that she shared with me was that many people came in with puncture wounds, gravel, pine mm-hmm. straw, drinking straws, anything that the wind had picked up, 180 mile an hour winds, they were having to pull things out of people's skin. They looked like porcupines. And that there were a few of the victims that uh, had gotten so close to the center of the storm that they it, they were having difficulty identifying them, even to the uh, to the extent of whether they're male or female. Right. Well, in, it, it is a horrible way to lose your life. But for those that were in the the core of that thing, if yeah, you were core. not in a basement, a small room, lowest floor, near the center, away from you know the things we talk about, if you were outside, 
A tornado is a rotating updraft. A lot of people don't know that. They just think it's a bunch of wind. But that is air rotating up in a violent fashion. And it takes objects up from below, including people, in the event of an EF4 or it's an EF5. It's kind of a combination of a vacuum cleaner and a sausage grinder. Right. It really is. That's that's a great analogy. And Thank you. What, to, to, I don't want to describe some of the wounds. But the bottom line is it takes... You, you can't even use dental records because in some cases people are decapitated as they come back down right. and trying to identify those body parts. It, it is the most gruesome job that you will ever, ever have to undertake. And understand for some of those folks, they weren't found until, you know, two weeks after this thing happened. You had people missing, you know, for two weeks. And ultimately, I believe one body was never found. And more than likely, it's in the Black Warrior River because this person was in Holt at the time near the Warrior River on the northern end of Holt. So we've got to take it seriously, these big football venues. and But the university has done that. They have they have got a plan. They, they've got a response plan. They've got a preparation plan. And they will not put anybody's life in danger. Having said that, they, they can't force people to do anything. Right. And, and that's the one thing I just want to remind everybody. And I, I know that, you know, it's not a pleasant thing to talk about on, on a happy show here when Alabama's doing so well and it's a great year. But let me just encourage you that if by chance, if you are at a game this year, even if it's an away game, but especially if it's a home game, and if you hear us on that big screen say, you need to leave now and go to this certain place, if you're do in a certain it. section, please do it. Uh, it because... Understand that those decisions are not made lightly. They will be made with a lot of thought and a lot of preparation. But you know, you, everybody's got to have personal responsibility. Everybody has got to take some action. Yeah, you guys aren't going to pick up the red telephone unless it's serious. Right, and I'm telling you this: I think there are some people that, unless they are yanked out of there by a government official, put in an underground bunker, they're going to say that nobody gave us any warning. They just don't have any personal responsibility. But I think now, after what happened April 27th of last year, people understand and they're going to do something. So let's hope and pray we don't have any issues. But I'll be there every game, and if something happens, we'll talk everybody's way through it, and we'll be all right. Hey, you know, uh, one good thing, uh, one one good thing among many, really, you know, there are so many ways now, uh, and it's changing rapidly, uh, to get information these days with t- television, smartphones, uh, radio. Uh, there's there's so many venues for dispensing and distributing news for for fans that are going to games that are that are traveling what and especially especially for let's let's keep in mind our, our kids and our older folks that may not be quite up to speed on the right. technological curve right. and, by the way let, let me share some good news i saw today in one of our newscasts uh the University of Alabama has installed a new wireless system at the stadium oh my goodness that will be in operation which means your phone will actually will work, work. It is, a, it is a joint venture between AT&T and Verizon. So if you have a phone with you know, AT&T or Verizon service, you can text out, you can get calls, you can use data, and they say it will accommodate 100,000 people with ease. Once I get into the stadium these last couple of years, my phone's been nothing but a paperweight. Right. Well, I'm up there you know, trying to download these weather graphics for this halftime weather update, and, and nothing works, and, and, and I have to get a hard wire into this secret university uh, stream. But having said that, that is exciting because that means – those people with smartphones that are using the weather apps, you will get the warnings. And, and the apps, we, there's two apps I like. One is called MyWarn and one is called IMAP Weather Radio. And those are based on polygons. You know, tornado warnings are not based on counties. Tuscaloosa County is huge. That thing is one of the largest counties in the state in terms of the geographical size. Tornadoes, even the big ones, 
are small compared to a whole county. So if there's a tornado in, say, Moore's Bridge or Northside or Wyndham Springs, which is way north of town, you don't need to do anything. And it knows these phones, it knows where you are because it's got a GPS chip in there. So if you were in a tornado warning polygon, you get the warning. And if you're not, you don't. And that's exciting. So those are the two apps that we like. Other than that, you know, for folks, and a lot of folks can't afford smartphones, and a lot of folks can't afford tickets to the games, and they're not there. Uh, the baseline, it's a weather radio. Those cost about 29 bucks. They're programmable. And they work very well, and they will wake you up. Where do you get them? Uh, you can a lot of well, I'll just Walgreens and Publix. Those are two of the main distribution businesses here in our state that sell those. And we had a 16-year-old girl that died in Clay, which is northeast of Birmingham, in January. Right, it's horrible. And the grieving parents said, "We never heard the siren." And, and you probably heard me on a tirade about sirens, but that that was the final straw. To see, I can close my eyes and see Christina's picture. Right now, she was a precious 16-year-old girl that was intelligent, had the whole world in front of her. And the warning was good 40 minutes before the tornado hit their house in Clay, which is northeast of Birmingham. And they believed that they were going to hear outdoor warning sirens in their home at 4 a.m. to wake them up. And most people do, which is we're going to change that. We are going to change that. I cannot stand using technology from World War One these air raid sirens to tell you a tornado's coming. So the most important thing is to please, please, I beg of you, never rely on a siren. Go get one of these $29 radios, and if you can't program that thing, you bring it to me and I'll program it because they work very well, and they're not that expensive. Well, you know, on a brighter note, we, we managed to duck most or avoid most of the direct damage from Katrina, what's been seven years ago now. Yep. But a lot of folks obviously were relocated to our area. And one starting at right tackle for the Crimson Tide right now. DJ Fluker grew up in New Orleans and was an LSU fan until his family was displaced by Katrina and they moved to Alabama. Well, he was discovered pretty quickly. Uh, and this amazing coaching staff that we have uh, uh, started recruiting him and will probably, you know, probably wind up the years an All-American. So it's amazing how a storm seven years ago is still changing and affecting lives of people today yeah hurricanes are a whole different ball of wax and that thing was uh when the levee broke and the water went into that bowl down there you just knew that this is going to change that city it's going to change so many lives and it's amazing how many folks are living up here that relocated into alabama and that's i didn't know that that's a great story uh and it makes you wonder how many other athletes maybe kids were younger that are coming up through middle school and high school that might wind up playing for uh, for Alabama. There's no telling. I mean, there's some big athletes down there in Cajun countries, you know. Oh yeah, and we're glad to have them. James, one other question. I know you've you've got so many irons in the fire. You got so you're busier than a one arm paper hanger these days. I know that Big Brains Media is one of the things you're involved with. Can you tell us what's going yeah, on? I guess, with that? I guess I should disclose that I have a little part of of, of this. Uh, uh, we believe that um, most of the content on the internet is pretty bad, and we believe that there's a hunger for new content that's distributed ultimately to everybody. I mean, everybody can can listen to this show, and so we created a company that uh, that is a, an infrastructure for doing that. And we've launched about a half dozen shows, and this is one of them. And I'll be honest with you, I, we, we were mainly looking at shows for women. And when, when you came to us with this idea, I'm thinking, ah, football, yeah, you hear that all over the place. But I'm blown away at the growth in this show in just 
three or four episodes. So we we've hit on something here. There is a hunger for sports shows that are quality. And you're coming in here. You understand. You grew up to me. Steve was in the band. Okay, he was this big, tall drummer guy in the band. I was this little French horn player. He was. He's like a couple of years older than me. He used to scare me. Big old deep voice guy. So here we are, all these years later, in the same room talking on the radio together. This is great. But but again, we just think that there is a great hunger, and all of our shows have been wildly successful. And, and soon, you know. Instead of the Bluetooth connection or plugging in a wire in your car, it's just going to be a button press on your little panel. In fact, now in many of the Ford cars, Stitcher is built in. Stitcher is one of the podcast clients that we're on. And you just press a little button and the internet connectivity is there. You just press a button. And so uh, we just think the opportunity is right. The time is now. And we've learned that football is hot. Hey, very quickly, uh, before we get ready to wrap it up, folks heading up to... uh Fayetteville. It's in the Ozarks, oh, yeah. uh, upper northwest corner of Arkansas. Um, wh- are there any peculiarities or particular uh, facets of weather up there to look out for? You know, I've never been there. I've been to Columbia, Missouri. I, I went to a game uh, back in the 70s. Alabama played Missouri up there. I want to say it was 78 or 79. It was 78. I went all the way up there for that ball game. So, I, But I, I've never been to Fayetteville. Fayetteville can be Hotter than you think. Uh, I know you look at the map and you're thinking, ooh, they're north of Interstate 40. They're up there almost in the Missouri, Ozarks. But I'll just warn you, it can be pretty hot. They've had a very nasty summer. In Alabama, the numbers have been, in fact, as we look at the numbers, we're going to be below average, but it's been nasty. And heat waves and droughts tend to last longer than you think. So don't be shocked. And again, you just, Check uh, check me on television or our blog is alabamawx.com and we do a lot of football weather over there. But if it's if it's hot, don't be shocked. But is it a day or a night game? Or do, I, we, do we know yet? I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't we, know if we the don't time's know, been right? announced. There's a chance when you listen to this show, you might know, but we don't. But again, uh, uh, my gut feeling is that it would be kind of toasty and probably dry. Yeah. But again, check that blog as we get closer. James, I can't tell you what a treat it's been for. For me, personally, for you to come by, we've known each other for years. We're in high school band together. Oh, yeah. We, we go we go back to almost leather helmets. <laughs> <laughs> That's a long time. You know, all, all, we're almost as old as the engineer-producer Mark yeah. Phillips in the other room in here. Yeah. Somebody uh, wake him up. Yeah, not, not quite. He's in there playing Angry Birds on his computer. Uh, but but no, thank it's, you. it's been a delight. I love this show, and I'm, I'm honored to be on the show. The, the first few episodes have been just, for me, I've been glued to this thing. The guests are great, and, and your preparation is great. So thanks for the great job you're doing. And we've got some great guests coming up, things, uh, people that I think people are really going to listen to. Before we close it out for today and head to the store for some extra barbecue sauce, we want to remind you to subscribe to Bama Talk Show. And don't forget to visit our Bama Talk Facebook page. We're really enjoying getting feedback from Bama fans from all over the world, and we want to hear from you, too. We are right smack dab in the middle of another golden age of Alabama football. Pride in the tides at an all-time high, and the forecast for the future looks mighty fine. So for James Spann and our producer-engineer, Mark Phillips, I'm Steve Sample saying thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Till next time, take care, have a blessed day, and roll tide. <laughs>